Good morning, church. <laughs> uh, so thankful to be here, thankful um, to have this opportunity um, to preach this morning, and um, humbled by it, and um, started out humbled as well. So um, thankful for all of you as well, and, and to see your families here, and gathered in this place to, to hear from God's Word. And um, so we will be wrapping up the series he will be named with Prince of Peace. This will be the last in the Advent series here. On February 6th of 2023 of this year, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit southern Turkey and northwest Syria, leading to immense destruction and catastrophic loss of life. In August of this year, a wildfire on the island of Maui burned down a massive number of structures, including nearly the entirety of the town, uh, Lahaina. It displaced hundreds of families and caused numerous casualties. Without going into too much detail with young ones here, I'm sure we have seen and heard the horrors that came out of the Hamas terrorist attacks in October and the ongoing devastation that marks that conflict. The war in Ukraine has no apparent end in sight. Banks are failing there's corruption in governing officials. Inflation is devastating families. The unborn are still being destroyed in the room at large. And that's just looking back at this year. And it doesn't even have to be some event of international significance that causes you to realize that there is turmoil and chaos in the world. To see a lack of peace, we merely need to look into our own lives. Maybe you or a loved one has received a frightening diagnosis and you're trying to put on a brave face, but the uncertainty of it all truly has you rattled and frankly, just exhausted. Maybe you've lost a spouse or a parent or even a child and you know life can't go back to the way it was, but you wish it could with all your might. Maybe you're graduating from high school or from college and it seems like everyone else has a plan, but you don't and you're worried about your future. Maybe you are parents of a young family and you feel like you're just barely keeping your head above water. Or maybe you're a single parent and you're just slugging it out at multiple jobs and still trying to raise your children. I'll confess to you even on a personal level that I wrestle with experiencing peace. My wife and I have four amazing children. They are so awesome. We love them so much. Um, and um, two of them are special needs, and I love them with all my heart, and I would do anything for them, uh, but sometimes, I'll admit, the peace in our household seems uh, fleeting. My wife and I face challenges with them that we wonder if we're even able to handle, or if we're even handling them in the right way. Uh, there's so many opinions from different experts on this way and that way and which way is the right way. We feel pushed to our limits sometimes. We worry for them now, and we worry about their future. At the same time, we are making sure and have to make sure we're not neglecting our children who do not have special needs. So I will admit personally, giving just one example, that I struggle with feeling peace at times and even seasons of life. And as we've gone through this Advent series, he will be named, our pastors have faithfully walked us through the titles given to Jesus in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 6. That verse is, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
And now as we come to a close on this series, we must ask ourselves that when peace seems so rare in the world around us and in our daily lives, how can we call Jesus the Prince of Peace? Well, that's what we're going to hear about today. So now that everyone is sufficiently bummed out, I would like to invite Terry Martin up to read our passage today in Romans 5. And if you're physically able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Good morning. In Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Thank you, Terry. You all may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, uh, we thank you. Uh, for who you are, for how you love us. We thank you for your word and the truth of it, that we can stand firm on it. Um, God, we pray that as we uh, dig into your word today, that you would um, do the work in our hearts um, that, you, that needs to be done in those. If we need conviction, that you would convict us. If we need encouragement, that you would encourage us, um, Lord, but that we would know um, that you are all-sufficient and you are um, our Savior, our King, and so we want to glorify you uh, this morning, most importantly, and most of all. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something wrong with humanity. We know it. Even those who do not believe in God or any sort of higher power must admit there's evil and disharmony in the world around us. The biblical reason for this disorder is that humans, our default state, is skewed and broken. Through the rebellion of Adam back in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world and affected all of creation. And we feel this effect the deepest in our own humanity. You can see this in the, in the verses that follow our focus passage in Romans 5, <clears throat> verse 12 Therefore, just as one, man, one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. Paul continues to establish this point in verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, he says, the one trespass or offense brought condemnation for all mankind. And verse 19 says that through the disobedience of the one man, that is Adam, many were made sinners. The curse of sin is universal. We are all sinners. Paul writes earlier in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the Old Testament, King Solomon proclaims in the book of Ecclesiastes, indeed there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. From the harshest dictator to the sweetest grandma, all of us are sinners. Now, not only is the effect of sin wide, but it is also deep, contaminating our very nature, our essence, reaching down and infecting our innermost being. 
Of course, having a sin nature does not mean that people who are unbelievers are not capable of having a conscience or showing love to others or acting generously, so on. I mean, we all know people uh, who don't follow Christ, who are remarkably kind and noble. And this is actually brought about by God's providential grace towards all of mankind. And we thank him for that. But it does not change the fact that all of mankind has a sin nature and sits condemned under the judgment of God. We bear the fruit of our sin nature. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Obviously, Jeremiah is not talking about the physical reality of the heart here. And when this verse refers to the heart, it isn't just meaning emotions or feelings as we often think about in our culture when we talk about the heart. Rather, it means the inner person, the center, the core of that person. That heart, that inner person is desperately sick from sin. Ephesians takes this idea further. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Again, the context of this passage is not focused on physical death, although sin did bring physical death into this world. Physically dying is a consequence of sin. But Paul is talking about something even more grave than the physical. Because of our sin, we are, by default, spiritually dead. But wait, the bad news doesn't stop there. Uh, Not only all of that, but we in our natural state are fundamentally opposed to the one true God. Colossians 1.21 speaks of us being alienated from God and hostile in our minds towards him. Romans 8.7 says, The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Because of sin, we by nature are radically corrupted to the core of our being. We are spiritually dead and we are enemies of God. And with this reality of who we are, the scriptures tell us that we will appear before the judgment seat of God, a God who is holy and just and always judges righteously. And we will stand condemned before him. Now, with such a grim reality in our view, we want to cry out like, before God like David does in Psalm 143. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is righteous in your sight. And so we find ourselves in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. I'll read it again, just to reiterate here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Praise the Lord, right? Finally, some good news. For those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, they have peace with God. This peace here is not a feeling of ease or an inner sense of wellness. What Romans 5 is speaking about specifically is our relationship with God. There is a peace that reconciles you to God. Look with me uh, at verses 10 and 11 in the same chapter. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? 
And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Beloved, this is reason to rejoice. We have reconciliation with God. The God over all creation made peace with us, lowly and rebellious sinners. How? Well, that peace is only through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we celebrate Advent and work our way through this series, this is the one in whom we're rejoicing. Jesus, the Son of God, eternally existing, came to earth, born of a virgin, and was fully God and fully man in his natures. He lived a sinless life to qualify himself as the perfect sacrifice to stand in our place of judgment. He was crucified, died, and was buried. Then he rose bodily from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. His death served as a sacrifice in our place to satisfy God's holy wrath and to pay the debt of our sin. And his resurrection served to establish his lordship. Now to all who believe in the person and work of Jesus to save them from their sins and surrender to him as Lord will be saved. Those who genuinely place their faith in Jesus will experience true peace with God. And I'll just take this moment as an important plea to you. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today could be the day of your salvation. I pray the Lord pierces your heart and convicts you of your need for a Savior, of your need to surrender to the Lord of Lords. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And the call of Scripture is for you to confess and believe that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. No amount of good deeds will save you. If Jesus does not save you, you cannot be saved. Jesus Christ is the ultimate focal point of our reconciliation and relationship with God. All, and all God has done and is doing for us and with us is through Jesus Christ. This is throughout the New Testament. As, as Romans 5.1 says, our peace with God is through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, we're reconciled to God through the death of, his, of Jesus, his son, and saved by Jesus' life. Romans 6.23 talks about God's gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39 tells us that no believer can be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's just a handful of examples. That's not even an exhaustive list. Because we have been reconciled to God, because we have peace with God, we have access to his grace, and we experience an otherworldly, unmatched hope. Now, if that wasn't enough, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ have also been given the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 14, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. He goes on to say in verses 26 and 27, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor fearful. The Spirit has been sent in Christ's name to all of those whose faith is in Jesus Christ. He, remind, he remains with us, and he resides in us. What, what an incredible gift from our Savior. Just a short reminder of what a gift the Spirit is. The Spirit, he regenerates us, he comforts us, he teaches us, he intercedes for us, he convicts us, he sanctifies us, he empowers us, and he guarantees our inheritance. What an amazing gift. So in verse 27, the peace that Jesus is leaving for his disciples is experienced by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Not only has Jesus made it possible for sinners to have peace with God, but he has also imparted his peace as a gift through the Holy Spirit. And as we read, Christ reassures them that his peace is not like what the world offers. The 18th century British pastor John Gill contrasts these two pieces well. The peace of the world is at best but an external one, but the peace Christ is the giver of is internal. The peace the world affords is very transient, unstable, and short-lived, but the peace of Christ is lasting and durable. The peace of the world will not support under the troubles of it, but the peace which Christ gives cheerfully carries his people through all the difficulties and exercises of this life. You see, our true comfort and peace comes from Christ alone. Not only has Jesus Christ made peace with God for those who believe in him, not only has he given those who belong to him the gift of peace through the Holy Spirit, but one day Christ will bring complete peace and reconciliation throughout all of creation. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Our hope for the future is established on the promise of Christ's triumph. God, through Christ, will comprehensively reconcile all of creation to himself. For those united with Christ, through faith, we will be glorified with Christ. That's Romans 8, 17. For those outside of Christ, they will face God's wrath and ultimate destruction. And so while sin and rebellion persist for now, they will not prevail in the end. God's people will be reconciled and God's enemies will be vanquished. Creation will be free from sin because it will be made new. We can look to Revelation to see a powerful depiction of this coming time. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
Now, Revelation is full of difficult passages and lots of symbolism, but this section here should give us great comfort and peace. The Lord is making all things new. See, when Jesus Christ first saved you, you became a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And the new creation Jesus made you serves as a herald of the things to come when creation as a whole will be made new. And in this new created order, we can see here that our final eternal state will be marked by God's nearness, by God's care, and by the absence of sin and death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. There will be peace and rejoicing for eternity. So can these truths help us to live in Christ's peace now? Absolutely. First, let us bring our weaknesses to the feet of Jesus. Too often we are prone to try to muster up all our willpower to overcome our doubts and struggles and discouragement. We think that because we're Christians, there's no reason we should not be at peace. That if we're wrestling with some kind of inner turmoil, then we should just get over it. Or maybe just, maybe just push it deep down and maybe just keep an eye on it, you know, because that's healthy. But we need to stop being so hesitant to bring our weakness before the Lord. You know, in fact, all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, know our weaknesses and work on our behalf. In Psalm 103, 13 and 14, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God the Father knows us. He knows that we are dust. Now, this may seem like an insult, but it's actually a grace to us to be reassured that the Almighty God is mindful of his own people's frailty as humans and is moved to compassion, that is so reassuring. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 reminds us of what a great high priest we have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. That is an amazing reality. And when we do, we do not consult with some indifferent deity. No, we have a savior. We have a great high priest, the son of God, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a Lord and a king who understands us. The spirit also understands and also helps us in our feebleness. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Now in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As humans, we struggle and fail at even knowing what to pray for as we should. 
Yet even when we cannot discern God's will or do not even know how to pray for what is really best for us, we're told the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So when we do not know what to pray for or fail and fail to understand God's purposes, we can depend on the Spirit's intercession on our behalf to perfectly match the will of God, which in turn brings about effective and powerful prayer to God. So next time we question if the Lord understands us or we don't think we should bother him with our battles and uncertainties, remember all three persons of the Godhead, of the Trinity, are there for us. The Father is compassionate and remembers our frailty. The Son sympathizes with our weaknesses and enables us to come boldly before the throne of grace. The Spirit helps us and intercedes for us in our prayers. We serve a merciful and gracious God. So bring your burdens to him. Confess your worries and fears and your doubts to him. The second thing we need to do when peace feels absent in our lives is to remind ourselves of God's character and God's promises. This means we need to be in God's word to know God and his promises for those who belong to him. And when we go about knowing God better and studying his word in the right manner, it should not swell us up with pride but rather move us to an attitude of humility and a desire to worship our amazing, incomparable God. We who are in Christ need to cling to the truths of God for as long as we draw breath. There are so many verses that describe God and speak of his promises that at this point, all I could think of is just list some of them. So let us just glory in these truths. These are through the Psalms. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Then in Romans, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Numbers, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Just from a handful of verses, look at how much of the truths of God are revealed, just from a handful. And these are truths we can cling to. The more we know God, the more we realize our need for him. The more we love him, the more we rest in him, and the more we want to glorify his name. And lastly, we need to be peacemakers. In his Sermon on the Mount, in a section called the Beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we seek to be peacemakers, we are called blessed. Why? Because we're seeking to live as our Father. God has loved us, his children, through Jesus, by reconciling us. And as such, 
We are meant to reflect our Savior by being peacemakers. So what does that mean? First, we need to make sure we maintain unity with fellow believers by our bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul's urging the church here. The Apostle Paul is urging the church in Ephesians. He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And our calling is in Jesus Christ. In short, our walk should look like Jesus' life in our humility, in our gentleness, in our patience, in bearing with others, and in maintaining unity. Our unity of the Holy Spirit is through our bond of peace. In other words, the peace achieved for us by Jesus Christ forms a bond that cements those in the church together. We did not create this peace. Jesus did. Nor did we produce this unity. The Spirit did. But we are called to maintain it. Does that mean we'll agree 100% on everything? No. Does this mean we never have difficult conversation or even times of correction? No. But even in those times, our end goal should be to maintain unity even if growth with one another brings about some growing pains. Pastor Tony Merida writes that the more we look like Jesus individually and the more we live like Christ relationally, the more united we will become. And then second, on a broader scope, we should be living peaceably with those around us. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Yes, sometimes conflict is unavoidable. Even Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. And also this does not mean preserving peace at the sacrifice of biblical truth. That would be a cheap peace. That would be more of appeasement than biblical peace. Anyone familiar with Paul's letters, even within this same letter, will be familiar with his opposition towards false teachers and willful, unrepentant sin. But we are never to repay evil for evil. One will find that peace is a more common occurrence for someone who practices forgiveness rather than retaliation. We are to actively pursue peace with others, especially when pursuing conflict in our culture seems to be the norm. So as we go about our days and our weeks, let us imitate our Savior in striving to be peacemakers. Let us remind ourselves and practice reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has promised and trusting that those promises are true despite how we feel and despite what is happening around us. And let us be quick to bring our weaknesses and our trials to Jesus in prayer and confession. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have been justified by faith and have peace with God. Because of Jesus, we can stand in God's grace and love. He has given us his gift of peace in the Holy Spirit in whom we can rely on to enable us to live for Christ. And one day, through Jesus, 
All of creation will be made new and will exist in perfect reconciliation with God. Jesus truly is worthy of the title Prince of Peace. We can run to him. We can rest in him. We can cry out to him. We can trust him and we can glorify his name. There's a beautiful hymn by Horatius Bonner written in the 19th century called I Hear the Words of Love. I'd just like to end with a couple verses from that song today. He writes, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Um, He writes, I change, he changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. So as we close today, just ask you to take some time in reflection. We'll have um, a response time, some guided prayer. Take this time to pray to the Lord. And there'll be a few points on the screen to direct your prayer. So just take this time to um, just bow before the Lord to call upon the Prince of Peace, um, to confess your weaknesses, to remind yourself of his promises, and to ask him to help you to be a peacemaker. This time is yours.